So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to 1 John 5. Uh, that's the last in our series from 1 John. Uh, and we love God's Word to us. We love coming to it and unpacking it and, and bringing our whole hearts and minds to it. So let me pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who reveals yourself to us and a God who speaks clearly and plainly so that we might know uh, who you are, we might know uh, your plans, and we might know your will for each and every one of us. So we thank you, Lord, uh, that we have your word contained in the Bible, and we thank you that we can, can bring our full selves to it this morning. May we be forever changed by our time in it. Amen. Eternal life. Don't you, you love the mythology around eternal life? I mean, who has a favourite myth around eternal life or story about the pursuit for eternal life? Can you name one? I'm sure most of you can. I'm sure most of you will be far more familiar with the, the Western mythologies, the stories like the Holy Grail, the pursuit of the Holy Who's heard of the Holy Grail? Surely everyone's heard of the Indiana Jones and the... Yep. Which one? Monty Python and the, the Holy Grail, of course, I think immortalised it. Um, this, this myth that, that if you found the, the cup of life, the, the very cup that Jesus drank from during the Last Supper, that this cup also purported to be the, the cup used to, to catch the blood of Jesus on, on the cross. If you were able to, to find this cup and drink from it, then you would unlock uh, the, the gift of eternal life, that you could live forever. And, and humans are fascinated with this, this thought of eternal life, aren't they? Fascinated by it. As I sat there looking at a number of the mythologies and the stories around this, they, they come from every part of the world and every culture. In Japan, for example, uh, they believe that eating a mermaid grants eternal life. Now, it's not quite a mermaid. It's a cross between a monkey and a carp. So I don't even know what that looks like. That's an odd beast indeed. But uh, if you're able to catch one and eat it, then it, it's supposed to grant eternal life. But of course, in Japanese culture, eternal life's a curse. Uh, you don't want eternal life because to live forever means you, you outlive all those people you, you Came to love and and give your life to, uh, and that pattern just repeats over and over again. And so it's seen as a bad. No one wants to eat the mermaid, which is good for mermaids, I guess. In Taoism, you would eat gold and other precious metals, uh, believing that somehow if you got the right mix together and the, the the alchemist was able to get the right combination, you you could ingest that and it would grant eternal life. Uh, in Chinese mythology, we have the, the peach tree, not of heavenly wisdom as we find in Kung Fu Panda, um, but the peach tree of, of eternal life. Uh, and the gods would eat of this. And not only would it give, now they, they, they're smart, the Chinese, not only would it give eternal life, but it would give everlasting youth because it would be really awful to be a million years old with the body of a million year old, wouldn't it? Um, and so eternal youth and eternal life, a smart thing. Uh, the Norse gods, anyone know what the Norse gods? There's a theme here, you tend to consume things. Um, the, 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 <laughs> served 
golden apples. Uh, and so the golden apples uh, maintained their youth. The Greeks drank ambrosia, which tasted a little like honey, apparently. Um, and it was delivered to the gods by doves. Um, this was a drink that not only the gods drank, but in Greek mythology, every now and then, mortals were given the opportunity. The most tragic story is of a, a human who makes it to the heavenly realms with the gods. He's offered some, and he goes, no thanks, no thanks, think it's a trick. And when he gets back to earth, realizes what he missed out on. Um, what a fool he was. Um, you've got the Christian Holy Grail, and you've even got modern science stories of this, don't we? Isn't modern science pursuing eternal life? That, that, that if, you, if you can just vacuum seal me in a cryogenic cell so that later on maybe when technology gets good enough you can, can heal me and keep me alive for, forever. Uh, maybe you can take my brain and my thoughts and my soul and personality and imprint that onto a computer. Um, and, and that way it can last forever. I just constantly get upgrades. Um, and on the web, of course, we know the ghost and the machine lives out there in the web somewhere. Um, that personality, devoid of body, that, that is, is eternal. Um, the, 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 this myth of eternal life, it's everywhere, isn't it? There's something that captures the human imagination when we go, yes, we, we want to live forever. There's something, there's something in us, in fact, that, that innately is anti-death, isn't there? That, that no one wants to die. That, we don't want to end. We don't want there to be an ending. We want there to be an ongoing story. We want to live forever. And so we're consumed with this thing of eternal life. In fact, the latest one I came across was in a, a movie I recently saw with the kids, um, Dora the Explorer. And the, what was it called? The Lost City of Gold. Yes. Yeah. And if you can go find it. Now, of course, the moral in that story is that if you get stuck in the City of Gold and live forever, you have to eat bugs for eternity. It's not a nice thing. Also, the baddie in the story found out. So, all these myths around, probably my favourite myth around uh, eternal life is the story of Gilgamesh. So, this is, uh, the story of Gilgamesh is one of the oldest and most ancient stories we have in human civilization that we actually have records for. And the story of Gilgamesh uh, says that he probably reigned during the, the 26th century BC, and after the death of his uh, companion Enkidu, he went on a, a journey searching uh, for, for the, the gift of eternal life. He didn't want to end up like his best friend, where it all came to nothing. Now, he came to realise after he got really, really close with some encounters with the gods trying to, to get it. He came really, really close. He, he decided that humans cannot live eternally. They, they can't ever attain that that's not something for humanity that humans continue to live into eternity through their accomplishments and through their 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 architecture and their buildings and the things they leave behind uh, that was his conclusion uh, and it kind of reminds me of the story of adam and eve a little bit as well because um, at the story of adam and eve you've got these two in the garden and they're, they're put in this garden beautiful perfect garden and there's uh, plenty of trees heaps of trees seep from but there's two particular trees in this garden that are special the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil uh, and so adam and eve are told very specifically you can't eat of this tree the knowledge of good and evil you can't eat of that tree but they were never told you can't eat from the the tree of life uh, and so when they do actually disobey god and break the rules and eat from the the tree of knowledge their eyes are opened they now their world is open to evil and 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 they're they're They've sinned, they've rebelled against God, and so God actually removes them from the, the garden saying, we better remove them because if they eat of the tree of, of life, then they'll live forever, and, and that, that's trouble. 
weird story. Um, happy to talk about that one further. But, but in every civilization, every culture, every religion, there's always this pursuit of the eternal. And here in 1 John, we find this subject being raised. In fact, for John, this is one of the prime purposes for why he's writing the entire letter to, to who he's writing to. Uh, if we look at 1 John 5.13, it says this, I've written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you might know you have eternal life. Now, this is the stuff of myths and legend, isn't it? It's like all those other stories. Uh, surely this is too good to be true. I mean, this is just fanciful stuff that we like um, writing stories about and watching movies about. Um, is he honestly really claiming to have unlocked the secrets of eternal life? I mean, if, if by now you're not sitting there going, wow, the, the, the Bible actually talks about some pretty crazy things. If, if, if you weren't in church and you were here any other place and I was talking to you about eternal life in any other context, you'd be going, cuckoo, cuckoo. Um, it's a bit crazy. Um, but things are here, we're in church, talking about the Bible, and it talks about eternal life. I don't know, we seem to have become okay with it. But this is weird stuff we're talking about. Everybody else goes, that, that's weird. The, the, the pursuit of eternal life. Here John's saying, I want you to know you have eternal life. And I want you to be confident of that. This is a bold claim that he makes here. Really, really bold. And he says a few things about it. The first is, who, who has this eternal life? Who has eternal life? Well, in 1 John 5, 1 to 5, let's read that. Should be up on the screen. I went to five, didn't I? Yes. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So everyone who believes, he starts and finishes with this, everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has become, who, that Jesus is the Christ, has become a child of God. They're the ones who've inherited eternal life. Now we all have beliefs, and there's some wacky beliefs out there. Everyone believes something. John's not saying, if you believe, if you really believe and trust in your heart, uh, and you hold on to that, that, that truth that you have, that, that you will have eternal life, that it will see you well. No, he's not interested in the subjective experience of your belief. Everyone has beliefs. Everyone has beliefs. We all know Reese has really weird beliefs at times around some things. Um, but we've all got beliefs. It's not the fact that you believe something. It's the object of your belief. It's what you believe that counts. Everyone who believes... That Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. For John, the secret to eternal life, those who have it are those who trust that Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the, the Savior, the promised one who was, was sent by God to bring salvation to the world, to, to cure this problem that we, we're all afflicted with, that problem of death. He came to put an end to that. And so it's everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ they are the ones who've become a child of God. And he's writing to 
a people, John's writing to a people where they were surrounded by numerous beliefs, just like, like we are today. Not everybody believes that. People believe plenty of other things. In an article in Psychology Today, uh, there was an article written by one of their psychologists and one of their, their contributors um, titled Weird Beliefs. Uh, and it was all about this psychologist's encounter with people with weird beliefs. That they'd heard so many stories. And, and so they talk about what makes a belief weird. What makes it unusual? And some of the stories he recounted was uh, an aerospace engineer that believed by absorbing bacteria into his skin that he could avoid eating and so would would not eat numerous times um, a week, thinking that that's all right, I'll sustain myself through the bacteria that I absorb. Uh, A weird belief. Um, Another one. A physicist believed that space aliens had visited... Uh, and this was uh, uh, someone who worked in a university, Uh, they'd visited Earth in the past and given uh, some of their technology to us. And that's why we have, you know, if you've seen Men in Black, uh, that's why we have Velcro um, and and other numerous technological advances. Uh, A weird belief. There was a philosopher that uh, he once treated that believed that psychic surgery was real. And that Shakespeare was a fake. He was a fraud. Someone else wrote all his plays. Um, again, they're, they're these weird beliefs. And, and what baffled me most of all was number 10 in their list of the top 10 weird beliefs. They said, number 10 are all the numerous religious stories I've heard. Claiming that they're all weird. That they're all weird and abnormal. All religion. Now we said, you might argue against this because religion is so widespread and it, it it's actually may not be actually weird. It may actually be the norm. But he listed it as a weird thing, a weird belief. And so he goes on to define what makes a belief weird. These were his three... This was the definition taken from the book, Why People Believe Weird Things. It's the the Bible on these topics. Um, And it says this. There's three things that make a belief weird. Number one is that it is unaccepted by most people in the scientific field that studies the topic of that belief. So if genuine science says, no, 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 that that, that can't be, then you're just believing something weird. Number two, it's a claim that's impossible or highly unlikely. And number three, a claim for which the evidence is anecdotal. That that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? If if those three things are are true of something, then then your belief is not rational, it's not um, acceptable, it's not normal, it's actually weird. Is the Christian claim that we have eternal life through Jesus Christ weird? Many people think so. But let's put it to the test. Is it unaccepted by most people in the scientific field that studies the topic of that belief? Well, what's the scientific study of, of God? Called theology. What do most theologians think? I'm only going on a whim here. I didn't do the statistical research on this one. But I think there's more Christians in the world than any other religion. It's not to say there's more Christians than anybody else. But there's a lot of Christians, a heck of a lot of Christians, who've studied this thing. And most people who would study this thing that say, actually, yes, eternal life does come through Jesus Christ. I would be one of those people. Believe it or not, I'm a scientist. <laughs> of theology, of word, of history. Uh, 
we study these things. We look at the evidence. We, we, we look at the history. We look at the, um, the, the textual criticism involved in studying the scriptures and, and looking at its, the authenticity of them, the, the validity, the reliability of these things. And we test the claims and, and we come to, to a conclusion uh, that, yeah, they're acceptable. They're acceptable. Is it a claim that's impossible or highly unlikely that, that God came to earth took on the appearance of a man, actually became man, lived amongst us, died and rose again from, from death with no help at all and went and ascended into heaven so that we might never have to die? Is, is that highly improbable? <laughs> highly unlikely, impossible? Um, well, yeah, it is, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, resurrection doesn't happen often, does it? And yet, did you know that uh, Einstein's theory of relativity was highly unlikely and declared impossible? The, the earth being round, heaven forbid, was an outrageous claim. Uh, at one point or another, most truths were considered highly unlikely or impossible, particularly ones that break convention and go against the norm. Uh, and so it, in and of itself doesn't mean it's not true. It just means, yeah, that's a pretty weird claim. And number three, a claim for which the evidence is anecdotal. Do we have anecdotal evidence? Anecdotal meaning um, really not, not, a, not, of, not of real substance. Nothing, nothing we can test or, or, or put to the test. Nothing we can really count on. Um, anecdotal meaning just word of mouth. People, people saying it's true uh, with nothing to back it up. Uh, and we've certainly got lots of that. We've, it, it certainly is anecdotal. We've got lots of testimony. This room would be filled with people who are willing to, to stand before a court of law and hand on heart say, I believe in God, I believe I've experienced God, I believe God has spoken to me throughout my life and that um, I've, I've spoken with him. Um, there's plenty of people, there's plenty of anecdotal evidence. But is there more than anecdotal evidence? Well, that brings us to John's next bit. You see... John's not content just to say, you're saved if you call yourself a Christian. If you believe in Jesus, you're saved. He wants you to know why. He wants you to give you confidence in that. And so in 1 John 5, 6 to 9, we read this. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross. Not by water only, not by water and blood. And the Spirit, who is truth, confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about his Son. Three things here, three pieces of evidence, three things. He says, look at this. Did this testify? Here's the, not, this isn't anecdotal. This is, this is history. This actually took place. And he's speaking to people who were alive uh, during the time. John himself was one of Jesus' closest friends. And he draws their attention. Now, in the Greek, um, we only see the words water and blood. In the English and the NLT particularly, it, it tends to add more uh, and answers the question for us. Because there is that question, well, what water and what blood? 
Uh, and there's been numerous attempts to, to explain that. Um, numerous theologians have all had attempts to say what the, the water and blood here means. In, NRL, in, in the NLT that we read from, New Living Translation, it, uh, it kind of answers it for us. It says in, in verse 6, um, his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross. It assumes that the water has something to do with his baptism and the blood has something to do with the cross. Now, I'm going to agree with that, so I haven't got a big problem with that translation. Um, I actually think that is what it's referring to. Uh, it is referring to his, his water baptism. It says, you know, if you want to know if, if Jesus is the Son of God, then look at his baptism. What do we see at his baptism? Right there we see uh, the, the, the Trinity, all right there. We see Jesus uh, being baptised in the water as he rises out. We see the dove descending, uh, the Spirit, and we hear the voice of God declaring the Father, declaring, you know, this is my Son who am I love, and I'm well pleased with him. We see there this magical moment in history and time that if we were there, you would sit there going, wow, like, who is this God? This is something special. Uh, surely he's the son of God. We then look to the, the cross and the crucifixion of Jesus. Nothing special about his death in that he was flesh and blood and piercing him and stabbing him, shed blood and, and he died um, through the, the whipping and the flogging that he endured and, and he, he dies a, a normal death. But there's something so unique about his death at the same time that the centurion, the Roman soldier who was placed in charge of standing at the foot of of the cross to oversight the, the crucifixion and his death, stands there and after he watches everything that's happened, after he watches how this man has conducted himself and the events, the, it says in the scriptures in Matthew's gospel, you know, this was after the great earthquake takes place and, and darkness fills the sky, there, there, there is something going on here. Uh, and at the end, when he concludes, this is a guy who's just participated in killing this man, he actually stands there and says, Surely he was the Son of God. Surely. This is testimony from eyewitnesses who were, who were there at these events, these significant events throughout history. And we need to remind ourselves again and again and again, when we come to think of the Scriptures, when we hear the stories of God, we're not hearing myths. We're not talking about some legendary King Gilgamesh. We're not talking about magical mermaid fish. We're not talking about fanciful images of science fiction and how we can one day live in the disembodied entities in, out there in the net. We're talking about real history. We're talking about no one denying the fact that Jesus came in the flesh, that he was a real man that walked amongst us, that people gave genuine, real eyewitness testimony to the things that he did, which went unquestioned. We don't have archaeological evidence. We don't have texts from that time. That, that, that There's some that go, well, he, he claimed to perform miracles, but there's no one out there saying there's no way this happened. You know, I'm, I'm there and I was there and I witnessed it and they're all lying. We just don't have anything like that. Time and time again, we counter stories and, and archaeology. The more we dig up, the more we, we evidence we find, it just confirms over and over again that this stuff really took place and he wants to draw our attention to that. And then lastly, of course, he says the Spirit. We have the Spirit to testify. And, and you might go, well, this one's a bit of faith, isn't it? That the Spirit testifies to our, our hearts inside us. Uh, that the Spirit says this is God. And we're to trust that. That's on faith, isn't it? A little bit. Hebrews 6.18, and he's playing a little on this, um, says to us that, So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. 
if, if God was present at his baptism, if he was present at his death, if, he, if the miracles he performed, if we could see the hand of God over the life, if we've come to know and understand that because of all that Jesus did, that he is God himself, that when God himself speaks about who he is, then we're to trust that. And he says, I know, I know, you guys have a hard time trusting people. You have a hard time. If, if I was to tell you, you know, the other day I saw an angel and it was, it was spectacular. Um, it was amazing. I wish you were there. It was great. You, you did, did, immediately you're sitting there going, yeah, right. We're skeptics inside. We don't like to believe. But when God himself comes and reveals that he's God and says, I'm speaking truth to you here now. This is who Jesus is. Then he says, That's, you've, you've, got to, you've got to pay attention to that. You've got to pay attention to that. That's nothing to ignore. It's one thing to ignore the testimony of someone. But to ignore the testimony of God is to declare him a liar. To declare God a liar. And you're on shaky ground there. It is God himself who reveals Jesus as the son of God to us. And this whole book testifies to it. It's the whole point of, of the Bible in some degree. To reveal to us who God is. And when we come to that point in time where it reveals Jesus, Jesus himself says to his disciples, what, what do you mean you want me to show you who God What do you mean? You, you, you think I'm a prophet. You think I'm a good teacher. I do all these miracles. You've, you've sat there wowed by me. And you keep going, you know, Jesus, we'd be really happy if you could just show us who God is. If we could just show the Father to us. Let us, let us see him. And he sits there scratching his head going, have you not been with me for two and a half years? Like, what is wrong with you? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We are one. We're one. There's no denying it. And so we have this great witness, this great testimony, this great evidence, historical evidence to back. There's nothing anecdotal about it. There's nothing anecdotal about it. And so if I was to say, is the Christian belief weird? I've got to answer no. I don't think it's weird at all. I think if you stop and you look and you listen and you pay attention, you will see that Jesus is the Son of God. He could be nothing else. Nothing else makes sense. No other explanation makes sense. And so John writes to this group of, of believers. This group, remember, who is under attack from false teaching. And this false teaching is questioning the divinity of, of Jesus. It's questioning that Jesus is God himself. There was this argument that, that Jesus was a normal man, but then at his baptism, we see the Spirit of God come upon him. And then just before he dies, the Spirit of God leaves but here he says, no, 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 he was very much God at his baptism. He was very much God at his crucifixion. And the Spirit confirms this. So John here is actually speaking to the doubts and the insecurities of the people of his day, saying, I know you're hearing this. I know you're hearing that he's not, not Jesus, that Jesus isn't God. I know you're hearing this, that what we told you isn't true. But I want you to know it is. I want you to know it is. And in verses 11 to 12, and I'll conclude with this, he says, And this is what God has testified. 
He has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. How certain are you that you have eternal life this morning? How confident are you that eternal life is found in Jesus, the Christ, the Saviour? And do you have the Son? Do you have the Son? Have you welcomed Jesus into your life and said, you know what, if you are God, I will give my life to you. I recognise that you are Saviour, the Saviour of the world. Please save me. But I'll also recognise you as Lord. I'll make you Lord of my life. Because everything you do is good. Everything you say is loving. Everything you are is wonderful to me. Are you there this morning? If not, please come and speak to myself, to Reese, to a pastor, to someone you know who has the Son, who has Jesus. Don't let today slip by without knowing you have eternal life. <laughs> Might have walked in here this morning thinking, that's just a myth. <laughs> and here we are, <laughs> crazy Christians, saying that, that what others consider myth is actually true and is yours for the time. You don't have to eat some special fruit. You don't have to eat some magical fish. You don't have to scale the heights of heaven to get it. All you have to do is accept it. It is God's gift to you. That's great news, isn't it? If it's not crazy, it's wonderful. <laughs> it is awesome and wonderful and something we should be so grateful for. And our hearts should jump with joy that we've got it. We've got eternal life, people. It's yours. No one can take it from you. That's my sermon done. But now we've got a farewell, a dear friend, someone who, uh, in their time with us, 